Good morning, Hope Church. How's everyone doing today? Great, great. Like to hear that. Everybody have a good week? Good week, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I had a pretty good week. Although I will say that, um, you know, the, the weather has been kind of like this, really, right? Yesterday was spectacular. That's my kind of weather. That's what I've been waiting for. But if you remember, on Monday, we woke up, and there was white stuff on the ground, and it was not manna from heaven. No, it was snow. But I am so ready to say goodbye to snow. Goodbye to winter. I'm done. I'm ready for 80 degrees and sunny. Goodbye. Here's an interesting question, though. How hard is it to say goodbye? And I guess it really depends on what it is you're saying goodbye to. Like, I have no problem saying goodbye to cold weather, goodbye to rain, goodbye to snow. I know some of you would agree with me, although I know that there are some who actually enjoy snow, and you might have a difficult time saying goodbye to that kind of weather. I think you're crazy, but that's up to each person. But really, the truth is, goodbyes run from one end of the gamut to the other, right? They run all the way from these incredibly uh, difficult and tearful goodbyes all the way to joy-filled goodbyes, as in goodbye winter. And sometimes your goodbyes don't go the way you expect them. I remember a goodbye. This was the day my wife and I dropped my oldest daughter off at school for college. And you guys have, have, have seen these scenarios play out in television commercials and and movies, or, or maybe you've actually lived it out yourself. It's a real hallmark moment, right? It's a real hallmark moment. There's lots of, you know, goodbyes, and there's, there's hugs and kisses, and, you know, I'll miss yous. It is a hallmark moment, and that is exactly what I expected when we dropped our daughter off at school. But that is not at all how it went. I was shocked that when it came time to leave her there, it was pretty much, okay. And I'm like, where's this, this beautiful hallmark moment? You know, I, I'm going to miss you. Didn't happen. But to be honest, the more I thought about it, the more I came to the conclusion that that actually was the correct response to that situation. I mean, it's not like we were never going to see her again. We, she was probably coming home the next weekend. What it boils down to is I don't like the word goodbye because there is a certain finality about that word. You say goodbye to someone or something and it gives the impression that you'll never see that person or thing again, which is fine when you're talking about snow for me, but certainly not for my daughter. In that case, I prefer, see you later, not goodbye. And that goes for loved ones who pass away as well. 
This past week, a friend of mine, his mother-in-law passed away, and she wasn't young, and she had had some health issues over the years, but it was still sudden, and it was still difficult, but the interesting thing was there wasn't a lot of mourning, and that's not because she wasn't loved, but because the family knew that they were not saying goodbye like they would never see her again. No, it was more of a see you later because they had hope. Hope for eternity. You ever been to the funeral of someone who didn't have that hope? There are some incredibly emotional and tearful goodbyes. And they are goodbyes because there is a finality about that moment. They'll never see that loved one again. And then compare that to the funeral of someone who's given their life to Christ. Yeah, there's tears, right? Those are natural human emotions. But it should be more of a celebration. Because it's not goodbye forever. It truly is, see you later. See you in glory with the one who made it possible, Jesus. So today, we're going to start to wrap up our series of messages on the life of Jesus. And if you recall, we've been looking at these significant events in Jesus' life that has led us up to this point. The significant events during the time that Jesus was on this earth. And if you recall, we looked at his baptism and his temptation. We saw when he called his disciples. We saw the amazing transfiguration and then the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And of course, we looked very closely at the two most important events, his death on the cross, and of course, last week, the resurrection. And it is impossible, friends, to overstate the importance of those two events. But here's the deal. We're not quite done yet. Because Jesus' earthly ministry isn't really over. Yes, we've seen him through the eyes of the two Marys, the resurrected Jesus, but he's still on earth. Today we're going to look at an event that really doesn't get the kind of attention that his death and resurrection do, but it is, in fact, the culmination of everything that's taken place to this point. Today we look at the ascension of Jesus. And the disciples... We love these guys, don't we? Because they sort of looked at this as kind of a goodbye. But as we'll come to understand, it really isn't goodbye. It's more of a see you later. So our scripture this morning is found in Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at mainly verses 1 through 11. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, the focus will be on verses 1 through 11. Because that's where we find the story of the ascension. And it's, it's really interesting that when we look at the Gospels, the Gospels don't really pay a lot of attention to the ascension. You know, John doesn't mention it at all. Matthew ends his Gospel with the Great Commission, chapter 28. We've looked at that before. Mark finishes with a speech that's very similar to the one we see in Matthew. And then he adds at the end there, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven 
and he sat at the right hand of God. So here's a real brief description of the ascension. But it is Luke, it is Luke, the meticulous historian that gives us the most information on the ascension. See, he first finishes his gospel, the gospel of Luke, with the ascension. Luke 24 says, When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So what we see here really is kind of a Reader's Digest version, if you will, of the ascension. But Luke, he emphasizes the importance of this by beginning his next book with a detailed description of the ascension. You guys all know that Luke wrote the book of Acts, right? Good, good. He writes this. In Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, the former book is what? Gospel of Luke, right? Yeah, okay, good. Stay with me. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And there are some life lessons that we can pull out of these verses, and we're going to do that as we go. I want you to notice that Luke says that in his gospel account of Jesus' life, he says he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is that Acts, honestly, is the continuation of that work. See, just because Jesus was not going to be there physically, that didn't mean that the work ended. No, no, the work was going to continue through, what's the name of the book? The Acts of the Apostles. That's how God continues His work. It's through the Acts of the Apostles, through the body of Christ. Because Acts, quite honestly, is the narrative of the beginning of the church. It is the church's job to continue the work that Jesus began. And that work, friends, continues today, right? Through who? Through us, right? Through Hope Church. That is our prayer. It's also interesting to note that, that there's still a reliance on the Holy Spirit. This speaks to the importance of the Holy Spirit. It says he gave instructions through the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this, because if the resurrected, glorified Jesus still needed the Holy Spirit, what does that say about us? Do we need the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is a pattern that we see throughout the remainder of the book of Acts. The power and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what this is about. The Holy Spirit working in and through His disciples, in and through us, building the church. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to build the church. Uh, in verse 3, we read this. It says, After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that He was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. 
So overwhelming evidence there is that Jesus had in fact been raised from the dead. That's what Luke is referring to here. And Paul, he writes about these convincing proofs in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There Paul says this. He says, he appeared to Cephas, obviously meaning Jesus appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me, meaning Paul. Convincing eyewitness accounts that Jesus was alive. And Luke tells us that he was continuing his earthly ministry. It says that he was teaching about what? The kingdom of God. That's what he was teaching about. Now, Luke doesn't really go into a lot of detail with regard to these teachings about the kingdom of God, but we can be sure that they were consistent with the other teachings that we read in the Gospels. Jesus wasn't done yet. And then in verses 4 and 5, we learn about the importance of the Holy Spirit. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So I want to I I break for a minute here because there's a great life lesson in here. Because Jesus gives them a command here. What's the command that he gives them? Wait, right? He gives them the command to wait. And there's so much, so much, friends, that we can learn from this. Because very often God tells us to wait. Sometimes he says, not yet. Has God ever said that to you? He has to me on on many occasions. Sometimes he says, wait for my timing. But that's hard for us, isn't it? I mean, that's really difficult, especially in this day and age. We have uh, fast food. We have instant coffee. We have microwave ovens. We want it now. We live in an age of instant gratification. We don't want to wait. But sometimes Jesus says, wait. And what Jesus was telling them to wait for was incredibly important. Incredibly important. And it's incredibly important for us today too. What was Jesus telling them to wait for? The Holy Spirit, absolutely. And then in verse 6, of course, we see that the disciples, you know, they're, they're, they're still not getting it. They're, they're still not clear on exactly what's going on because they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, that, that sort of seems like a reasonable question, right? It's a question that they've asked Jesus several times before. I mean, is this it? You know, is the waiting over? Is it finally time for the Romans to get what they deserve? Okay, you know, you suffered like you said you must. You died like you said you must. And you, you were resurrected like you said you must. Now's the time, right? Now you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel. What does Jesus say? Verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know the times 
or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Another, another great lesson here, another great lesson. Because what Jesus is doing here is he's warning the disciples not to be overly concerned with exactly when the kingdom would be established on earth. That information is on a need-to-know basis, and they didn't need to know. But he gave them what they needed. He gave them the promise of the Holy Spirit. See, all will be revealed in the appropriate time, according to God's timing. And we don't need to know about that day either. But honestly, Jesus has already taught us everything that we need to know about that day. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus tells us, yes, the coming of the kingdom of God will happen suddenly. He says it will come like a thief in the night. But what Jesus tells us, what we need to know is be ready. Be ready for that day at all times. Keep short accounts with God. And what he does tell us is that we need to be wise and faithful servants in the meantime. He tells us that in Matthew chapter 24. See, we don't, we don't need to know the when. What we need to know is what to do in the meantime. And Jesus tells us exactly what we need and what it means to be a wise and faithful servant in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. See, we don't always get what we want. We get what we need. Ooh, that'd make a good song, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. I should write that, but... But look, it's a great life lesson for us. See, God knows what we need. And He knows, of course, what we want. And He will supply for our every need. Maybe not so much for our wants. See, there's... There's a vast difference between what it is we need and what it is we want. I'm going to embarrass my children again today because they had some difficulty understanding that. And I tried to teach them because I would hear things like, Dad, I need a new $130 pair of jeans. Sorry. Do you really need a brand new $130 pair of jeans? Or I need a new car. Do you really need a new car? Or is it that you want a new car? And you know, let's be honest, because we really don't change that much when we grow up. We really don't. Because I still hear adults say things like, I need a new car. Oh, maybe the used car will do. But you want that brand new car. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having a brand new car. But saying that that is what you need is incorrect. Jesus knows our every need even before we do. And he will supply our every need. And what we need, friends, is the power of the Holy Spirit because we have a job to do. And friends, Jesus is speaking directly to us as Christians today. He's speaking directly to us as his disciples when he says, you will be 
my witnesses. And please do not do not do not miss that the fact that this is not a command. You guys understand this is not a command. Jesus is not speaking in the imperative here. He's not commanding us. He is stating a fact. It is in the indicative. You will be my witnesses. There's no option. It's not like we say, well, you know, if I feel like being a witness, I will. No, you will be my witnesses. And uh, in order to do that, we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we will be His witnesses, right? Hope Church will be His witnesses here in Lowell and in Northwest Indiana and to the ends of the earth. We will be His witnesses. Then Luke writes this in verse, verse 9. He says, after He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. And I can't help but like picture myself with the disciples, you know, and the disciples are going, what, he's leaving again? Without even saying goodbye? He's just, he's, he's, he's speaking and suddenly he's taken up in a cloud? It's not at all what they expected. It's not at all what they expected. But this is something that had to happen. This had to happen, and it had to happen just like this. And this morning, I want us to leave here knowing the reasons that this had to happen. The first reason that Jesus had to ascend was to return to and be reunited with God the Father. Friends, God exists and has always existed for all eternity, even before the beginning of time as we know it. He's always existed in perfect community as the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There is one God with three persons. And I know that's really hard for us to, to kind of wrap our, our little teeny finite minds around, but that is how God has always existed. And as his plan of redemption for a lost world unfolded, God the Father sent God the Son to earth. And he sent him to die and pay the price for our sins. And that is exactly what Jesus did. That's exactly what he did. And you know what? On the night before that Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross, he told his disciples... I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And, and that's Jesus' ministry in, in two simple sentences. Jesus had fulfilled his earthly ministry as the Son of Man. Oh, his ministry on earth would continue, but it would continue through the disciples, not through Jesus the man. Jesus had to ascend in order to be reunited with the Father. But you know, when he leaves, 
he leaves some really big shoes to fill, right? If we're supposed to continue the work that he's began, how in the world can we do that? This leads us to the second reason that Jesus ascended, and that was to send the Holy Spirit. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we just read it a moment ago, Jesus told the disciples that power would come upon them in the form of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even said this before, but this wasn't the first time that Jesus had taught them about the Holy Spirit. Again, the night before he was crucified, he spoke very plainly to the disciples about the Holy Spirit. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Again, Jesus knows what we need and we need the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that comes to us in Jesus' place. The Holy Spirit comes to be with us, to live in us. To live in us and work through us. The Holy Spirit gives us strength for living. The Holy Spirit gives us power for witness. And the Holy Spirit gives us peace. That peace we talked about last week. And of course he makes us more and more like Christ. That process of sanctification that we talked about. The Holy Spirit, friends, is incredibly important. And if Jesus had not ascended, he couldn't have sent the Holy Spirit. And actually, it was to our advantage. It's to our advantage that Jesus returned. And I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. Many people over the years have said things like, oh, I wish Jesus was still here. You know, I wish he was still on earth so we could, we could see him and, and, and hear from him. But that's not true. That's not true. It is better that he be up in heaven. He even told his disciples this in John chapter 16. He said, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good. It is to your advantage that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Friends, Jesus had to ascend in order for us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit. The third reason that Jesus ascended was to take his rightful place on the throne at the right hand of God the Father. You know, the, the, the right hand is, is a position of power and a position of authority. Peter writes about this in 1 Peter chapter 3. There he tells us that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus rules and reigns from the throne in heaven. And we absolutely need that. But you know, there's another element to this as well that we don't want to miss because this is incredibly important. Because see, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father. Yeah, he's reigning, he's ruling, but you know, he's doing something else too. He's advocating for us. He is interceding for us with the Father. He's right there. He is our perfect high priest. The writer of Hebrews tells us 
since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. That temptation that we studied a number of weeks ago, he's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, Jesus is our advocate with God the Father. And when we sin, you notice I didn't say if we sin. When we sin, John tells us in 1 John chapter 2, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, it is only the righteousness of the ascended Jesus that allows us to stand before a perfectly holy God. If Jesus would not have ascended, we wouldn't have a king seated on the throne, reigning and ruling, and we would not have an advocate at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. This had to happen. And last, if Jesus would not have ascended, he wouldn't be coming back. And we know, friends, that he's coming back for us. That is our hope for eternity. It's exactly what the angels spoke to the disciples about in Acts chapter 1, in verses 10 and 11, it says, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, angels, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you've seen him go. Friends, Jesus is coming back. Amen, amen. And we're going we're gonna to hear a lot more about that next week. So you're going to have to come back. But you know, we know it's going to be a glorious day. We know that it's the day when all the, all the wrongs will be made right. There'll be no more sickness, no more death. And this same Jesus, as the angel says, this resurrected Jesus the Jesus of the gospel, the same Jesus of love and compassion, the Jesus that's full of grace, that same Jesus is coming back. Isn't that amazing? And he's coming back the same way that they saw him go. He's coming back visibly, and he's coming back physically. We don't know when. Jesus has told us it's futile to speculate as to when. But in the meantime, in the meantime, friends, we have work to do. The work of Jesus' kingdom. We are his witnesses. Our job is to share the good news. Our job is to go, right? Our job is to go and fish for people. Our job is to go and tell others. Our job is to go and make disciples. Disciples. 
And I know that there's, there's a lot of craziness going on in this world, a lot of trouble, a lot of strife, everywhere you look, really. And I know that it can be, it can be discouraging. And it can make people fearful. But what has Jesus told us? Do not be afraid. There's comfort. And the ascension is a huge part of our comfort. The cross is empty because Jesus died. The tomb is empty because Jesus rose. The earth is empty because Jesus ascended. And because of that, because of that, friends, we can know that Jesus is back with the Father in his rightful place on the throne at the Father's right hand. And from there, he's interceding for us with the Father. We know that we have his spirit to empower us and guide us. And we know that someday, someday, he'll be back. He didn't say goodbye. It was more of a see you later. And until that day, may we honor and glorify Jesus, our ascended Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, we praise you, and we thank you for your perfect plan of redemption, Lord. We don't always understand it. Very often you tell us to wait. You tell us not now. You don't need that. But Lord, your plan is perfect. Lord, we thank you that you did ascend to take your rightful place at God the Father's right hand. And Lord, we know that someday you're coming again. And Lord, we just, we place our hope in that. We thank you so much for the work of the cross, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. Because it all happened according to your will. Lord, thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.